Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Um, so today's Bible reading again, First uh, Thessalonians 2, 1-12 on page 822. Paul's ministry in Thessalonica. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. We had previously suffered and be treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God, who tests our hearts. You know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover our upgrade. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. Because we loved you so much, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardships. We worked night and day in order to not be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And Father, we, we sit before you knowing that you're a God who is great, a God who is good, a God who is righteous and majestic. We thank you, Lord, that you give us your word and that through your word we can hear from you, we can hear you speak to us. And we pray that as you speak to us today, Lord, that our hearts will uh, be open to receiving it, our hearts will um, be convicted by your spirit, our hearts will uh, respond in a way that, that uh, honors you and glorifies you. Help us to live lives that do that, Lord. And we pray now as we hear from uh, chapter 2 how we can do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, there's always new trends going around, right? And there's this trend that I, I, I came across uh, online through social media uh, about doing acts of kindness. It's this thing where it's, again, plastered all over TikTok, if you have TikTok, or Instagram, if you, have, if you watch anything on Instagram. These acts of kindness is uh, one where someone will uh, ask someone to hold a bunch of flowers. I don't know if you've seen this one. Hold a bunch of flowers while you go down and you tie your shoelaces and then you walk away and you leave them with this bunch of flowers. It's like a random act of kindness giving a bunch of flowers to someone. It really annoys people, actually, that one. There's, um, there's other ones I've watched where someone uh, will give a pizza box to a homeless person and inside the box is a big wad of cash, a, a, a way of being generous to the homeless. Uh, others where you walk out of, I don't know if you, this one, I don't like this one. Others where you will walk out of the self-service, you know, check out at a supermarket and as you walk out, you tap your card for someone else's groceries. So you're paying for someone else's groceries and they're like, what? 
What just happened? Why, why did you just do that? And they're like, oh, I just wanted to pay for your groceries today. Uh, and these videos, they're racking up views, right? There's heaps of uh, thousands of views, uh, people you know, commenting, applauding these acts of kindness on social media, you know, hope in humanity restored, that sort of thing, right? People are really, you know, this is great, you know, all these people doing acts of kindness. And I get it. The concept itself is one where it's trying to promote doing good, good deeds, and that's a good thing. We should, we should support that. <laughs> but, but... I am. I'm, I'm a little cynical, right? A little suspicious. Uh, do you really want to set up a camera to record yourself doing this? Do you really need to put it up on your social media accounts? Come on now. I mean, I don't know if they, they, they get permission even from the person that they're helping. It just seems so intrusive. Uh, I mean, a breach of people's privacy. And if I can be honest, I feel like there's just this, this mm, hidden agenda. It's not about helping people, it's about trying to get views, trying to get likes, trying to get followers, going viral. Or, as our young people, I learned this word this week, it, it's about getting, it's about clout. Is that a word? It's about clout. You know, it's about becoming famous or whatever. It's that trend that's ultimately about people that they help. They actually, uh, it's really all about them though, in the end. And, and doesn't that make us feel a little uncomfortable? It makes me feel a little uncomfortable. It feels a bit just dishonest insincere counterfeit. We don't feel comfortable when people aren't authentic with us, right? And this skepticism, man, isn't that how we feel about church and Christians sometimes? Uh, you bring up God or church and people around you suddenly get really hesitant and uncomfortable and they might scoff and say, are you for real? You're going to talk to me about God? What? You know, you offer a hand or you say something like, hey, come meet my church friends. And they're like, whoa, you know, it's met with suspicion. And with all the stuff in the news about churches and church leaders that are involved with scandals and, and whatnot, it's, it's no surprise, isn't it? There's a sense of caution when it comes to church and matters of God. How do we then, as Christians, be genuine? How do we show them that we're genuine as we share and live out our faith? How can we love people and share the gospel in ways, in ways that are authentic, with integrity, so that others can see and hopefully come to know God too, and not be cynical like I am with these TikTok videos? see, in this section of 1 Thessalonians, we're going to tackle how we can best be the church. Genuine, authentic in the way we serve, in the way we do ministry. I'm going to define ministry. If you're new at church, ministry is essentially uh, acts of service to one another for the gospel, how we do ministry. Paul's going to help us see that, what that looks like in the way he ministers to the church in Thessalonica. Just a bit of context for our passage here. We have to remember um, last week and, and why he's writing this letter to the Thessalonians at all, the church uh, in Thessalonica. He was there for about three weeks only. We read about that in Acts chapter 17. And he saw so many people in the city come to faith, but an angry mob ran him out of the town. Because right? they didn't agree with him. They didn't agree with the message that he was preaching. People were claiming that he was creating this uh, an uprise against the Roman Empire. So he had to flee and escape. But he writes this letter to the city about 18 months afterwards, where the church has grown now, it's flourishing, and he wants to encourage them to, to keep going, keep persevering amidst the persecution they're facing. And so here we are in chapter 2. This is how it starts. Have your Bibles, follow along with me, so you know where I'm, where I'm getting the words from. Chapter 2, verse 1. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without results. Let me stop there. You know. It's not, it's not like you know. It's you know. He appeals to their knowledge. And he does that multiple times through these 12 verses. You know, you remember, you witnessed, words like that. It's like six times throughout this passage. In a way to remind them of, uh, of his actions. You've seen this, you've witnessed this, you know this about me. And he's going to spend this passage talking about his motivations. 
motivations and the manner by which he did ministry amongst them. Because even though he was there for only three weeks, even though he was kicked out of town, even though other Christians are being persecuted because of their conversion to Christianity, Paul wants to start this section off saying, yes, those things happen, yes, but as you know, it wasn't a failure. It wasn't without results. And those results were that they witnessed Paul, they witnessed his life, and they were inspired by him. His heart was one that was genuine and authentic and treasured Christ. And for them to witness that, that's a win. He's saying that's a win. It's not without results. It's not a failure because they've got courage now to live out their faith. So he continues, verse 2. We'd previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dare to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. You know we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else, even though as apostles of Christ we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. I'm going to stop there. Paul faced opposition in the city. Uh, yet he still dared to talk about Jesus. That's how he starts this part, part off. Uh, he did this coming off the back of leaving a town called Philippi, which is just down the road, where he was treated even worse there. In Philippi, you can read about this in Acts chapter 16 if you're taking notes. Read it in your own time. What happened in Philippi? It's that chapter where he meets a, a woman called Lydia and her, her and her whole family get baptized. Um, they were in the city where uh, they got uh, attacked. They got bitten by rods, arrested, thrown into prison. The jailer in prison becomes a Christian as well. That's what happens in Acts chapter 16. This all happens in the city of Philippi. So that's why Paul uses this language. They, they suffered and were outrageously treated. And so after that, they come to Thessalonica. What did they do? You think they want to just rest and hide away for a bit? But what did they do? They get straight back to it, right? They preached the gospel, even in the face of obviously, they felt even empowered more to do so. He's pushing into something here, isn't he? I mean, don't we all in life... Is that what we look for, opposition? We, we strive for comfort and convenience, don't we? Uh, generally speaking, we don't usually want to choose the difficult path of pain unless the reward is worth it. You know, and we do this in life, don't we? When we want that promotion at work, we wor work long hours. We have no social life. We go through that pain for that promotion. We want our children to flourish in life, so we spend hours driving them to, to sport and tutoring and all that extracurricular stuff. We want our kids to flourish. That's the reward. We want our body to be fit or good looking. And so we push hard at the gym and we spend time. God forbid, yeah, God forbid that 7 a.m. wake-ups that some of you do to go to park runs. Come on. You do that, though, because we want to be fit. That's the reward. The pain and inconvenience that we go through, that discomfort, because you believe it's worth it. Look at Paul. When it comes to ministry, serving God and serving his people, he'll go through the pain, even of persecution. Even in the face of opposition, he'll keep preaching the gospel because that's a treasure, a treasure worth being inconvenienced for. That's where his heart is. His, his heart is set on that, the gospel of Jesus. So, so seeing people come to know the Lord Jesus, yeah, that's going to be hard. That's going to be difficult. That's going to be inconvenient. This is the truth that we need to understand from Paul's example here. For us who take the title of Christian, if you call yourself a Christian here in this room, we're called to do gospel ministry. That means serving God, and it's going to be hard. There will be obstacles. There'll be difficulties. There'll be opposition. At times, it will be painful. 
but we can persevere with God's help. That's what Paul does. With the same heart as Paul, to see people know and love Jesus too, when we believe Jesus is worth it. Paul goes on to share his heart with them and his motivations. He says that preaching Jesus wasn't from a place of of impure motives or or trickery. He says in verse 5, it's not about flattery or, or greed. There was no hidden agenda, essentially. He confidently says this because they know him. They know his character and his integrity. But let's understand the nuance of this, right? Because he's speaking into a context of ancient Greece, 2,000 years ago. We're thinking pagan religions. We're thinking of cults. People who would go like like door-to-door salesmen, right? People who wanted you to buy their product, follow a new religion. And it's sort of unreal to think that. I mean, ancient cultures dealt with the same problems that we have today. People trick you, and that's how cults start. Honestly, it's sad. But don't we all have a little bit, like, I mean, less trust for people? I mean, when, when people call me with an unknown number or they're knocking on my door, I just want to ignore it. My first response is, what do you want? And maybe, uh, you'll probably think, Mike, you're so cynical. You're such an old man now, right? You're just grumpy all the time. I keep reading articles, though. I don't know about you. I keep reading articles of women who get cheated out their money by some fake online boyfriend that doesn't exist. Uh, it's sad. All the single vulnerable women get taken, like that good-looking young toy boy, right? Who texts them and is looking for a sugar mummy. That's what I read. And it's sad. Why? Why do people do this? It's the whole Tinder swindler story, if you've watched that dog. It's not love. It's driven by trickery. It's driven by greed. So Paul didn't come to Thessalonica with that agenda. That's what he's trying to tell him. He's like, you know this about me. I didn't come with this agenda. He uses where he, say, he speaks about this idea of flattery. What is flattery? I heard another pastor say that it's like encouragement's evil twin. Right? Encouragement is where you give courage, essentially, to someone for their good. Right? You give them courage for their good so they can flourish and thrive, but to flatter someone? Isn't that really something you do for you? I, I looked this up. I googled this definition. And it said, to flatter is to lavish praise and compliments on someone, often insincerely, with the aim of furthering one's own interests. Okay? So, let me use an example. Aaron, he's our music leader today. If I were to flatter Aaron, our song leader, and say, Aaron, you're awesome. Oh, man, you're so talented, guitar, singing, beautiful voice. You know, everyone sings louder when you're leading at church. You know, man, our church wouldn't be what it is without you, Aaron. That's flattery, isn't it? Because deep down, of course, I want Aaron to keep leading our song and music at church. And yeah, I want something out of that. I want him to see that. You know, I, I, I really appreciate it, but I also want him to keep doing it. I'd be flattering him. Encouragement, on the other hand, and I... I might be guilty of flattering some of you sometimes. And not, not, not by intention. Let's not point fingers. Encouragement, on the other hand. Encouragement comes from a place where I just want to encourage Aaron for how God has wired him, how God is using him. It's a, a, a bit more like, Aaron, thanks for so much for serving at church. You're, you're gifted and talented. Leading us in music helps us point to God and through song and music to move our emotions to Jesus. You know, thanks for serving God and serving our church. That's encouragement, right? It's, it's to encourage him, to give him courage to keep going to see the person flourish. Maybe you can have a go at it. After church, talk to someone, encourage them. Don't flatter them. Paul says, you know this about me. You're witnesses of it. They know he comes from this place of authenticity. And isn't that so important for us as well? Yeah, It's so sad, and I wish it weren't true, but there are so many churches that are renowned for their greed and their flattery. Pastors who have that silver tongue, who ask for money, who ask for lo- their, to, to fund their own luxuries, their own private jets. 
If we're doing ministry for the money, then you're not doing it for Jesus. You're doing it out of greed. And, and hopefully you know, you know me. You don't have to worry about my salary. I'm not buying a jet anytime soon. Paul, Paul's, not yet. Um, Paul, <laughs> Paul's work isn't about greed. It's not about impure motives. It's not about flattery. It's not even about his own recognition. In verse 6, he says, I could have just said, look guys, I'm an apostle. You should listen to me. Follow what I say. He could have done that. He's an apostle. Being an apostle meant that he had the reputation of meeting Jesus, walking with Jesus. He had the reputation of, of, of being wise and intelligent, but also that he performed miracles too. I mean, if you had that on your resume, wow, people would listen to you, right? He could have wielded that authority around. Uh, it reminds me of something back in primary school when I was in uh, grade sense, I was like 12 years old in primary school, uh, and, and we were doing the whole school captain thing, you know, and, and people getting up doing their speeches, nominations, you know, to vote in the school captain. And one kid got up, he had so much swag, this kid, right, the coolest kid in school. He literally got up and just said this, he said, if you're cool, you'll vote for me. <laughs> and then he sat back down. And we were just like, wow, that was so cool. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. He wielded the cool card to get votes. But Paul didn't try to use his apostle card to persuade anyone to follow Jesus. Yeah, the heart of Paul, came to, he came to the city to persuade them to know Jesus. Verse 4, why did he do this? Verse 4 says, On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. He was coming from a place not to get approval or praise from people, but to please and serve God. You see, we ultimately serve an audience of one. Too often we live in a world where success is determined by how many people know our name, how many followers we get on, on our social media, how, how much praise we get, how much acknowledgement we get, how much validation, recognition, even fame. And isn't that the temptation even in church? The temptation is to get the praise of people around us. We want to make much of ourselves, but why? Why do we so desperately seek after approval, validation of others? I mean, sometimes when I reflect on this, at least for some, we're, we're looking to get a confidence boost, perhaps. Uh, we need some more self-esteem, we, so we seek it. We want, that, we want to grow in our self-worth, and that comes through people's praise and acknowledgement. But for others, uh, it, it could be that we're overconfident, and we feel entitled to praise, so we, we keep wanting more of it. Either way, don't you still see that like, there's a, there, it stems from a heart of, of I guess, a subtle pride, doesn't it? That makes it about you. Let me be real, even as a pastor, I know there's going to be hints of pride in my heart. I need to daily confess to God and surrender that to Him. And I don't think there's a person in our room that doesn't have hints of pride in our hearts, in the work that we do, right? We want to feel proud about it. But too often we want other people to validate and give us praise for it. Even doing ministry at church. Now, it's so easy to, to serve others and, and say we're serving God, but really we want to look good. We want to get acknowledged. And ultimately by doing that, we're serving ourselves. Let's be real. For Paul, that's not what ministry is. If that's what we're serving out of, that's vanity. That fails to do what ministry is. Paul says, when you've got the approval of God already, we don't need to seek after human praise. We don't need to seek after acknowledgement, recognition, and fame. You have God's love. What more do you need? You don't actually need the approval of others around you. You don't need validation from your peers or your pastor. You've been saved, approved by God, entrusted with the gospel, which means you've been liberated now. Liberated, freed to serve and love without needing the status, 
without needing the, the uh, approval, without needing feeling like you're unworthy. Like God has given you the, His approval. Instead, we're called to be ambassadors, to bring the Word of God to others, doing ministry, serving people to serve and please our Lord Jesus. He's the one we represent. We don't represent ourselves when we do ministry. We represent Him who approved us. You see, Paul's heart and motivations in ministry aren't about him or some hidden agenda. It's about serving and pleasing God. That's his focus. That's his motivation. And that's what faithful ministry looks like. A heart of integrity, a heart of faithfulness, a heart of character, really. Now, how did Paul go about it? He shares the manner by which he does ministry. Pick up from midway in verse 7. So here's motivations. This is the manner by which he does ministry. Verse 7, halfway. It says, just as a nursing mother cares for her children so we cared for you because we loved you so much we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of god but our lives as well surely you remember brothers and sisters our toil and hardship we worked night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of god to you you are witnesses and so is god of how holy righteous and blameless we were among you who believed for you know that we dealt with each other with, with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I love this because even from the start he says brothers and sisters, and now he's talking about being a mother and father. He uses this family language of love. I mean, if you ever hear us use family language here at Providence, you know, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, we're a spiritual family, it's because of this language in the Bible. Paul's manner by which he brought the gospel, ministering to them, was, wasn't purely by words, as important as they are. He showed them his love through his life. He says he shared his life with them. They did life on life together around the gospel. I, I read this book um, called, and some of you guys have read too, called uh, The Gospel Comes with a House Key by Rosaria Butterfield. Really helpful. Worth a read if you, if you want to find a good Christian book to read. It's all about how we do life on life. Our lives are involved with one another. She writes about how she has extra food in her fridge all the time for people who drop in so she can share, her, share meals with them, so can, she can share uh, and make them part of her family. Uh, that's what gospel hospitality looks like. It's doing life on life, sharing our lives together around the table, in our homes, in the midst of the mess, uh, the, the, you know, the, the kids' toys all over the floor. That's in our house. The kids' toys all over the floor, you know, dishes in the, you know, in the sink, the unfinished puzzle on the kitchen counter, you know, whatever it might be, in the mess, we invite people into our lives. That's what real life is. And isn't it in those moments of, of sharing our authentic selves that we share the gospel through the way we speak? and share and love one another? Let's be clear. Paul says he, he says he shares his life in them, but he shares the gospel. He does speak the words of the gospel to them. It's not just look at my life and hopefully you'll get the idea of Jesus. No, you, you need to share who Jesus is with them. We need to point people to Jesus as well as we share our lives. But listen to that family language. He's like, we were like a nursing mother caring for you. And as much as you want to argue, yeah, dads can be caring too, that's true. But there's a special connection, isn't there, between a nursing mother and a child. I mean, every culture will be able to recognize that. You know, baby finds comfort in the, in the mother's bosom, right? Like uh, the idea, uh, even animals, baby cubs, right? Puppies, kittens. I was thinking about my fish just then. And, <laughs> and when they give birth to their babies, they actually eat their babies. So just don't think about fish. But every, like a nursing mother to their baby, right? A, a baby goes to their mother for comfort. You get that idea, right? So it's one of, of gentleness and, and selflessness. That you, they drop what they're doing. They'll wake up in the middle of the night. 
You know, it, it's this, this vulnerable little human being needs them. Let's not water it down, right? The relationship of a mother and baby is one of selflessness and giving. Ask any parent here to care for your child sometimes means putting aside your, putting aside your immediate wants to love your child, to give up some of your hot chips, to put your back and body on the line because your child doesn't want to walk anymore, allowing your hot cup of tea to go lukewarm because you need to attend to your child. Why, though? Because it's a delight. It's a joy. It's a joy to, for a parent to do so. You see, Paul and his co-workers, they approached this church with that heart of self-sacrifice to see them know the great treasure of Jesus as well. Again, Paul could have, what, demanded fees for his time? He could have said, I'm, uh, I'm entitled to this many hours, uh, and don't forget my qualification. I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, guys. Come on. Not some intern, not some grad, not some apprentice. We, we care about those things in our world, right? We care about how people address us. You know, get it right. I'm doctor. Or I'm reverend, <laughs> your honor, your excellency, whatever. You know, but it isn't about that. Paul just wants them to know that they're loved and the love of Jesus. It's not about him. Paul wanted to see others, others flourish and thrive in Christ at the cost of his own comfort because he was driven by love, just like a nursing mother to a child. But let's also remember, just because Paul uses this language of, of dependence, like a nursing mother to a child, we aren't here to treat each other like, like babies, right? I, I won't treat you like a baby unless your name is Arwen or Rachel. Look, like the, the picture Paul wants for us is a mother and a father. Verse 11, for you, know that we dealt with, uh, for you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. Again, yeah, mothers do a lot of that too, encouraging, comforting, urging. But this understanding while, while fathers can't nurse their kids, they can play that role in a child's life. Yeah, as much as I've tried to breastfeed my daughter, I can't. But I can encourage her. I can comfort her. I can urge and challenge her in the way she goes about life. In the same way, as much as I'm, <laughs> I'm here to care for my church, that will look like urging. It will look like comforting. It will look like challenging. It will look like encouraging you. You know, that's, and it's not just for, for, for the sake of it. It's for, to take responsibility for your own faith for you to be a man or woman that loves God and loves others. Ministry isn't about treating each other like babies. Serving others isn't so they'll be dependent on you either. It's not helping them to be independent, but raising up Christians who are dependent on God. Raising up Christians who will be responsible with their faith. That's what maturity and growth looks like. He says, we dealt with you so you'd live lives worthy of God where you have that sense of ownership of your faith. Healthy church communities look like healthy, interdependent relationships pointing one another to Jesus to live for him. Do we realize that about ourselves, though? That we have to start somewhere? As human beings, we, we were all once immature, right? Like we all, when we were younger, some of us still might be. But we were all once young and dumb, some in their teens, right through their 20s, right? Or maybe in their 30s. We were young and dumb and immature at times. And isn't that the same for our faith? Man, if you ask me about my faith when I was 18, when I first became a Christian, 100% young, dumb, immature. I was a young Christian. And guess what? 20 years later, I'm still on my learners. You know, I've, got, I've got experience, yeah, sure, and I've learned a lot of hard lessons, but I'm still, I'm not as young as I was, but I'm still making dumb decisions sometimes. We all do. And as much as the Bible is sufficient for my godliness and my love for God and others, I do need 
Christian community around me. I do need other Christians to care for me, to encourage me, to challenge me. Not to depend on them, but to help me depend on Jesus. And just like every other Christian in the room, we want to minister, I want to minister to you too. And serve those around me to care for them, encourage them, share my life with them, spur them on to their hope to live lives worthy of God. It's not about superiority, inferiority. There's no hierarchy here. We need to start somewhere. We also need each other in God's family so we can grow in our faith, be pointed to Jesus, live lives worthy of God. Isn't that what we should be about? Helping each other towards maturity in our faith. We'll never be perfect, but we can walk with each other on that road to maturity, can't we? And then with maturity, doesn't ministry just happen then? Where you don't need to be asked, but you just find ways to serve those around you because you're mature in your faith. You know that this is how you can serve God using your gifts and your time. You want to contribute to God's church. Ministry comes from a heart that is known and loved by Jesus. And when ministry, when you're known and loved by Jesus, ministry just comes naturally. Jesus has served you. And so as a response in love to him, you want to serve others. So you look around, you think about how you can help, ways you can love, ways you can serve. The person who is new at church, you might want to welcome them, take them out for a coffee, read the Bible with them, pray with them. That's ministry. Where you know some of our members could be uh, served by simple acts of, of opening your house for gospel hospitality, driving people because they don't have a car, bringing food to new parents, just bringing flowers to someone who might be struggling so they know they're loved. That's ministry. You don't need to put up your good deeds on social media. We aren't doing it for the likes and the followers. We've been approved by God. I mean, that TikTok trend is really counterfeit in that sense, isn't it? But authentic ministry comes from a heart that knows and loves Jesus, and it's why we love each other in this church. Paul does it here. He pulls out his life for them with the hope that they'll mature and, and what live lives worthy of God. That's maturity. That's responsibility. What will it look like for us? Now, I understand with all this I, I, that some people have, we have our own fears. We have our own trepidations. We've been hurt by people before. I get that. And I'm all for healthy boundaries, okay? I'm not for toxic, codependent relationships because that's not helpful for anyone. I don't want you to be dependent on me just because I have the title of pastor. No, that's not what I'm here for. We're family in Christ, 100% yes. And yes, as, as your shepherd, someone called me that yesterday, your shepherd, elder, pastor, my role is to care and love and protect and nurture and teach, yes. But ultimately, all of our jobs here is to point each other to Jesus. He's your saviour. That, that, that's the role of every Christian. Jesus is the one who can care for you so much better than I can, infinitely better. He died on a cross to rescue you. He gives you a life that no one else can offer. He's the one who loves you and meets your every need more than any church or Christian can. He's the one who can love you like that. Don't get me wrong, I do love you. And I love my church family, but I'm just a flawed human like everyone else. I might not be able to meet your needs. Meet your expectations the way you want me to. If you think I can save you, I can't, but Jesus can. He is the perfect minister who ministers to my soul as well. And when you know that, when you've experienced that, won't you two point others around you, not to yourself, but to your Messiah, to him, his, their Messiah, Jesus, the one that we have who saves us? Yeah, it does get hard. Paul doesn't say it's easy by any means. He talks about giving his whole life over to these guys. People can be hard, but you know, so are you and so am I. 
We're all difficult at times, aren't we? Let's be honest. And the church is a, a group of people that are difficult, broken people. But we're a spiritual family. And just like any family, you don't get to choose your family, do you? And you're probably thinking right now, oh man, my family members, wow, I would never have chosen them. They're difficult. And in every church family, whether it's Providence or another, there'll be people who are broken and needy, just like you and just like me. But this is the family God has given you here today. And as difficult as it might be at times, as much as you might clash at times, and as much as culturally you might not understand each other, we are responsible for ourselves and how we do ministry for God and for each other. We can commit to being faithful to God. We can work on our character, our integrity, to love Jesus and love others in gospel ministry, even if it might not be reciprocated. Even if, even if your, your energy is, is depleted by extroverts, even if it means sacrifice at times. But let me remind you how you can do that. Even if, like you might feel really overwhelmed, but let me remind you, Paul is able to serve others like this because he has every need met in Jesus. We can only do self-sacrificial ministry with integrity and character and faithfulness when we know the God who has been faithful and good to us. When we're secure and full in Jesus, we can serve others selflessly whether or not they give us praise or not, right? When we're secure in Him, we have our every need met. We're not looking for others to praise us or validate us. We're not doing for any selfish gain or trickery. Jesus has met our needs. It's in Him we find rest and refreshment. It's in Him we get recharged. And yeah, sure, take your holidays. Do the self-care thing. I'm not saying you shouldn't. But ultimately see that Jesus meets your every need so you can love others in a way that God has poured out His love for us. And as you read back over this passage, these 12 verses, it's quite interesting because you'll realize while Paul might be talking about his ministry to the church, his conduct, the word that comes up the most is God. It's not about him. It's about God. Paul doesn't want to be the main character. He wants God to be. And so when, the, when, when he serves the gospel to this church, he wants people to know God through his ministry and through his sacrifice. Isn't that what makes it so inspiring? His authenticity in his ministry. It's not about the likes. It's not about the followers. It's not about the views. Paul isn't doing it for Paul. He's doing it for our risen Lord Jesus. Will that be our desire too? Will that authenticity be what Providence Church is known for in the way we do gospel ministry here? Let's pray. And Father, we do thank you for Christ. We thank you for Jesus who, who came to this world, who modeled for us what love looks like. He gave up his life. He sacrificed it on the cross so that we could be saved, so that we could know you, so that we could have life and know joy and freedom. And Lord, we're thankful for that. It was nothing we did, Lord, but it was about your love and your initiation. You, you, you initiated with us. You approved us. And so, Lord, help, our, Lord help, us, help our hearts that are needy, that are broken. Help us to be a people who find our security and our joy in you and you alone. And, Lord, fill our hearts. Fill our hearts with that so that as we understand and know the gospel, we'll operate from a place of love, of fullness, knowing we are known by you, and that's enough. And so we pray, Lord, as a church, as Providence, Lord, you'll help us to be a, a church that, that, that moves towards one another in gospel ministry, a gospel ministry that looks like selflessness, that looks like sacrifice, that looks like authenticity. Help us to be that church, Lord, for your glory. In his name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.